Whitesnake is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whitesnake has never been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Despite many opportunities, Whitesnake's first album, Trouble, was released in 1978. And the Hall of Fame has a 25-year rule. That is, you have to be 25 years removed from your first album release to become eligible on a time frame basis. So Whitesnake became eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2003. But according to the website, there's other criteria that are there for artists to get into the Hall of Fame. Those include the influence and significance of the artist's contribution to the development and perpetuation of rock and roll. So, does Whitesnake belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, if you're like me, you're listening to Well Disguised, you are into a podcast that says in its little logo that this is rock snobbery about lowbrow music, you're probably saying, of course they belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whitesnake is dripping with classic songs and classic albums. They've influenced a generation or two of rock and roll musicians. The Billboard success is there. The charts in the United States alone, they've had two top ten albums. They've had two top ten hits uh, in terms of songs and singles. Uh, one of which went to number one. That, of course, being Here I Go Again off the 1987 self-titled record. No one is saying White Snake is the Rolling Stones, but in terms of contributions and performance and everything else, surely they're the equal, if not better, than Hall of Fame enshrined acts like Frankie Lemon and the Teenagers, or Laura Nero, or Bill Withers, or Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, who, you know, they're a pretty good cover band, but... Joan Jett and the Blackhearts don't really have the original songs to deserve Hall of Fame induction. But, and it's a big but, White Snake basically is David Coverdale, right? David Coverdale is the front man, the creator, the originator, the, the leader, everything else that is White Snake. And David Coverdale is already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2016, when Deep Purple finally got in, long, long after they should have gotten in, Unfortunately, long after original member, maestro, organ player John Lord passed away, David Coverdale was part of those ceremonies. Of course, when Deep Purple went into the Hall of Fame, the legendary Mark II lineup went in, featuring Richie Blackmore, the aforementioned John Lord, Ian Gillen, drummer Ian Pace, and bass player Roger Glover. That's the classic Mark II lineup. That's the Machine Head lineup, the In Rock lineup, the Fireball lineup. Of course they went in. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had enough wisdom to also put in members from the Mark I and Mark III lineup. So David Coverdale, who I guess also was the lead singer in Mark IV as well, but especially on those two classic Mark III albums, Burn and Stormbringer, David Coverdale is in the Hall of Fame. When David Coverdale's obituary is written, and hopefully that'll be many years in the future, it'll say, David Coverdale, so-and-so years of age, founder and singer of White Snake and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer with the band Deep Purple, has died, blah, blah, blah. And that's as it should be. David Coverdale should be a Hall of Famer, if not for White Snake, although he should be for that too, at least for his years in Deep Purple. So great. But what are we going to do about Ronnie James Dio?
I have to admit that when Deep Purple went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2016, most of my grief or issue with the institution was resolved. Sure, at that point, all the big boys had been inducted. Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and ACDC. ZZ Top had gotten in. The same year that Deep Purple went in, Cheap Trick went in, which it's a little weird for Cheap Trick to be in the Hall of Fame above some of the people who aren't, but that's fine. Alice Cooper, the band, had gone in, even if Alice Cooper, the person, the singer, the solo artist, did not. But a lot of times people really can't tell the difference between the two of those anyway. Obviously, the Doors were in and Pink Floyd and lots of other people who are well-deserved in the Hall of Fame. Deep Purple really was a weird holdout. It's rumored and been reported at least that there are members on the Hall of Fame committee who did not want to let in a one-hit wonder, which is really strange when you're talking about Deep Purple. I suppose they meant Smoke on the Water, but when you've had Space Trucking and Highway Star and Hush and Black Knight and Knocking at Your Back Door and Perfect Strangers and Woman from Tokyo, etc., etc., it does seem a little weird to be holding Deep Purple of all bands out because they only had one hit. Deep Purple, of course, also was hugely influential in the rock and roll and heavy metal scene. But when Deep Purple got in, I was basically okay at that point. Um, obviously, there's other people that certainly deserve to be in or be nominated. One of those for me is Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf, of course, is the legendary band that started in the 1960s that is immortalized from the song Born to be Wild. But Steppenwolf had a ton of other big popular hits and uh, were an important band in the rock and roll scene. Obviously, Born to be Wild is the cornerstone of that, but Magic Carpet Ride is just a classic rock song. It's going to be on classic rock radio. Not only is it still on there now, and will be, it, sur- it has survived many other great 60s classics, but it seems like it's going to continue to be there. But Steppenwolf also had Move Over and Jupiter's Child and Sookie Sookie and Who Need Ya and Hey Lordy Mama and The Pusher and just all these really great rock songs. Steppenwolf is a really classic band that, for whatever reason, has not translated into a modern thing. For whatever reason, there doesn't seem to be a lot of cachet around Steppenwolf and certainly not a modern push. In fact, maybe it's a little ironic, Steppenwolf finally, long after they also were eligible, got nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at least once, and I think a couple times, both times not getting in when it went to the final ballot. But then in 2018, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did something that was a little interesting, a little different. They let in songs. They inducted six songs into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One of those was Born to be Wild. Of course, Born to be Wild was not written by a member of Steppenwolf. It was written by a man named Mars Bonfire. But it's not a cover either. Steppenwolf's the first band that ever did it, even though almost everybody, it seems like, has covered it at some point in their career. It's really a Steppenwolf song. And since Born to be Wild went into the Hall of Fame by itself, perhaps the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has decided we've done enough. We've considered Steppenwolf. This is where we're at. We're going to let this one song in. But the band has not been nominated in the two years since then. All right, having talked about Steppenwolf, let me say one other thing. I did a little bit of a hack in my opening here. 
I talked about some of the bands that Whitesnake is more deserving of that are already in the Hall of Fame. I think that's a little bit of a bad argument generally, just to be honest with you. I read Bill James's book, The Politics of Glory. Gosh, it must have been at least 15 or 20 years ago at this point. For those of you who don't know, Bill James is one of the baseball sabermeticians, statisticians, forward thinkers, whatever. He's written a lot of books about baseball and one of the leading lights in the movement to bring baseball into more of a mathematical game and pursuit. Anyway, he wrote a book called The Politics of Glory several years ago, and it's about the Baseball Hall of Fame. And one of the things that he points out in there is that there are undeserving members of the Baseball Hall of Fame. There's people who would never get in. But it's a bad argument to say that everybody that is better than the worst member of the Baseball Hall of Fame deserves to be a Baseball Hall of Famer. That's just kind of confirming a mistake. That's not what we should do here. We shouldn't just look at the worst or least deserving members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and say, hey, these people should be in because this worst person's mistake is in there. Look, my favorite baseball player growing up was Eric Davis of the Cincinnati Reds. Eric Davis hit 37 home runs and stole 50 bases in 1987. He was also a member of the 2080 Club with 20 homers and more than 80 steals in 1986. He had a lot of great seasons, and he's a better baseball player than some of the guys in the Baseball Hall of Fame, especially some of those old Yankees who just kind of got in because they were on teams that won a lot that were popular. But the Baseball Hall of Fame has basically moved beyond that, and I just don't think that's a good argument for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame either. Yeah, there's been some bad bands and bad artists, or maybe not even bad, but just undeserving ones that are in there. But if we use that as the baseline, everyone better than the worst, it's not really going to be much of a Hall of Fame at that point. It wouldn't be much of an honor. It'd just be an overwhelming number of people that are in that institution. So I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I also don't want to make the what is rock and roll argument either. Yes, there are a lot of artists who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that are not what perhaps you or I would consider as being rock and roll stars. For example, just a couple years ago, NWA went in to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't think anyone seriously believes that NWA plays rock and roll. Now, you can make an argument that the members of NWA live like rock stars. And if you define rock and roll as I think the institution is meant to be, that is, popular music generally aimed at young people, then NWA is a kind of rock and roll star. But it's clear at this point the institution does not think being a rock and roll star or being a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame necessitates that you have a drummer in your band, a bass player in your band, an electric guitar player in your band. And then whether it's one of those people or perhaps it's someone else who comes in and is the singer of the songs... The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame clearly means that rock and roll has a more expansive definition, and they get to make the rules. I suppose that's fine. You can argue with it, and those arguments against that, I think, clearly have merit. But this is what they've said, and that's okay. They do get to make the rules. Now, I don't think they should wait so long on some of these artists. Again, when I was talking about Deep Purple, John Lord died years before Deep Purple got in. That's really unfortunate. Not only did he miss out and his family sort of missed out on him getting to have that moment, 
But the Hall of Fame missed out on someone who obviously belonged in that institution. I suppose Motorhead's going to get in eventually, but everybody in Motorhead's dead. Well, maybe not everybody, but all the original members. Lemmy's dead. Lemmy still has the coolness and the, the cachet again to, to, to get in there, and he's going to, even posthumously, when it probably won't do a whole lot to juice his career or record sales or that sort of thing, Motorhead's probably going to get in. But they've waited so long, it won't mean nearly as much now. Judas Priest is going to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think. I think they've been nominated the past two years, long after, again, they were eligible. And Judas Priest is starting to get to be another one of those for me. Like, this institution really has it wrong on this point. Like, Green Day is already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Judas Priest is still waiting. But they're going to get there. Judas Priest is the second most important heavy metal band, or the second band, chronologically at least, that was really important. Maybe they're not as important as Metallica. But regardless, it's a really good jumping-off point for the second half of the episode, which is about Ronnie James Dio. Because like John Lord, Ronnie James Dio is no longer with us. And like Judas Priest and so many other bands, Dio really does deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, clearly Ronnie James Dio satisfies that 25-year rule that the uh, Hall of Fame has that I talked about before. And I don't want to get into a whole long thing about what he's meant to rock and roll. I mean, if you want to do something like that, and I know this is ironic since I am talking about him, but if you want to look at a lot more famous people than me, a lot more successful people than me who have talked about Ronnie James Dio, just Google Ronnie James Dio legacy or Ronnie James Dio remembered. You'll see people like Slash and Carrie King of Slayer and Tom Morello and the guys from Tenacious D and Rob Halford and Lizzie Hale and Scott Ian and all these people who will be able to talk about what Dio meant to them, what an impact he was in their life, their career, what he taught them about the business, that sort of thing. Clearly, it's the easy little joke, but Yes, he was a small man, but he was a giant in the industry and uh, certainly a very important figure. There's lots of people out there who can talk about Ronnie James Dio in that way. What I want to talk about, though, again, is that seven-album run. Because Ronnie James Dio was on seven consecutive albums that are big. They're big in rock. They're big in metal. It is honestly difficult to imagine a singer who's had seven albums in a row of the high quality that Ronnie James Dio had in the rock business. And I think it's almost impossible to imagine a singer who had seven in a row in three different bands. So let's start out with the first of those. Of course, the first three are with Rainbow. Dio gave voice to the songs that represented why Richie Blackmore needed to depart Deep Purple. Rainbow began when Blackmore had observed Deep Purple opening band Elf and basically stole them all, except for the guitar player, which, whose shoes he filled, of course, and Ronnie James Dio was that lead singer in Elf. In Rainbow, that was largely the birth of the mystical rock that Dio would pursue in his solo career, and even Blackmore would take off with, and not only in Rainbow and sometimes bringing into Deep Purple, but then in that next phase of his life, in the band Blackmore's Night. The first Rainbow album is actually my favorite of those. Typically just called Rainbow, sometimes called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and maybe 
because it was called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow on the album cover, that's a little bit of the contention between Dio and Blackmore. But there are so many of just killer songs on there. And again, that mystical element that Dio brought in on songs like Man on the Silver Mountain, 16th Century Greensleeves, Catch the Rainbow, Temple of the King. That album is a killer. It is a monster and a true statement of intent and makes you understand, okay, Blackmore, I understand why you needed to leave Deep Purple. If that first Rainbow album was sort of the birthplace of mystical rock, then the second album, Rising, is the birth of epic metal. The iconic album cover kind of gives you an idea of what you would hear when you put this album on. There's so many good songs on Rising, but it's really marked by the absolutely colossal Stargazer and then the song that comes after it, equally epic in my view, A Light in the Black. Classic Rock Magazine once called Stargazer Rainbow's Cashmere, in reference to the Zeppelin classic. It truly is one of the most important songs in that kind of genesis of heavy metal post-Black Sabbath. Next from Rainbow came the album Long Live Rock and Roll. Long Live Rock and Roll is less epic than Rising. It's more of a return to the fantasy rock of the debut, but I like that. I actually kind of prefer that from Dio and Rainbow. My favorite song is actually The Shed, uh, a little unusual, but with the title track, Lady of the Lake, Kill the King, you get more of that forerunner of battle metal, battle rock that Rainbow basically invented. But no one ever said working with Richie Blackmore was easy, and Dio left after Long Live Rock and Roll. He floated around a bit until Irony of Ironies. He was introduced to Tony Iommi by Sharon Arden, of all people. Of course, Sharon Arden would soon become Sharon Osbourne. The first six Black Sabbath records are properly regarded as absolute classics, but the seventh and eighth, Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die, were steps back. After Never Say Die, not only was Black Sabbath in commercial freefall, you know, they no longer had a lead singer. Ozzy Osbourne was out of the band. But when Dio joined Black Sabbath, they saved and resurrected their career. That first album with Dio, Heaven and Hell, became the third best-selling Black Sabbath record. It isn't as doomy and dirgy as some of the best of Sabbath, but it is excellent. The title track, Neon Nights, Children of the Sea, Die Young, Lonely is the Word, proved to Sabbath that there was life after Ozzy. Now, the second Sabbath Dio record may be the weakest of the list so far, but the title track, The Mop Rules, is huge, and Sign of the Southern Cross is absolutely epic. Falling Off the Edge of the World is classic Sabbath as well. Maybe The Mob Rules is not as highly regarded as some of the other albums we've discussed, but it absolutely is a good album, and fits in with this idea that Dio was on a tear from the late 70s into the early 80s. Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, Rising, Long Live Rock and Roll, Heaven and Hell, The Mob Rules, Dio's Killing It. And having worked with both Richie Blackmore and Tony Iommi, he now decided to go on his own way. His first record, Holy Diver, is simply one of the classics of the genre. He kept Vinnie Appice, who was also in Sabbath on drums, and added Vivian Campbell on guitar, and gave us his finest solo work in this first album. 
Holy Divers on anyone's short list of metal anthems. Rainbow in the Dark, which I want to be aimed at Blackmore as a song, but probably isn't. It actually is my favorite Dio song. Its theme of abandonment and being special or unique in a world that doesn't recognize it is relatable to almost any teenager, no matter what genre of music that teenager likes. But then that album, Holy Diver, also has Stand Up and Shout and Straight Through the Heart. Next, after Holy Diver, The Last in Line came out. And okay, it's probably the worst of the seven, but there's no shame in being the worst of these seven albums. The Last in Line is still really, really good. We Rock is a belter of an opener and a statement of intent. And the title track is really a smooth song. Egypt, The Chains Are On, is suitably anthemic. Ah, anthemic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. That's what I wrote anyway. Dio went on to have other highlights in his career. And there's maybe some tracks and albums you really like more than some of the ones I've even mentioned. I'm personally partial to the album Dream Evil. But in, in total, Dio never really hit these heights again. No matter. That's what I'm saying. There's no shame in that. How many other people, how many other musicians can you think of that have seven albums in a row like this? Albums that created and sustained a genre of music when you talk about the fantasy or power rock metal and also saved a legend. I mean, he got Blackmore successfully out of Deep Purple. Then he hops into Black Sabbath and restores that band and enables them to go on and really make a lot of not-so-great records in the 80s. It's because Dio joined them and got them over that hump. But it's the fact that Dio did this over three different bands that really is the shame of it all. I mentioned John Lord specifically earlier to make the point that it's too late to do right by Ronnie now. Ronnie died of cancer in 2010. But I also started this episode by talking about David Coverdale and Whitesnake for a reason too. The Rock Hall put Coverdale in with Deep Purple. It takes a lot of the sting out of any Whitesnake argument and their merit for the Hall of Fame. Sure, it'd be nice for Whitesnake to be in the Hall of Fame, but the Hall recognized the quality and contribution that Coverdale made to the music made by Deep Purple, and he'll be in there forever. Coverdale's always going to be a Hall of Famer. Now, when I started this episode and planning for it and doing some of the research, I really half expected to be able to find some credible source that would allow me to blame Sharon Osbourne for Dio's admission for when Black Sabbath went into the Hall of Fame. Sharon's an easy evil and all-purpose villain, but while I wonder, I didn't find any support for that. Maybe it was the Hall's decision. Maybe the whole band came to the decision to just go in with the original four to eliminate any arguments about anybody else. Maybe, and according to interviews that he gave, Dio was fine with it. But it was still wrong, and it robs Dio. Rainbow, after Dio left, got more commercial and worse. And Blackmore seems like the least political person in the world, the last person who would have the clout or the interest in making a Rainbow for the Hall of Fame campaign to happen. He won't care. And Dio won't get in with Rainbow, even if a good argument can be made that Rainbow belongs in the Hall of Fame. And if Blackmore doesn't have the clout or the ability to get Rainbow in the Hall of Fame, Ronnie certainly doesn't. Dio's dead. His band was important, but he'd be a long way behind Priest and Iron Maiden and Motorhead and others that are still waiting. Dio 
really, except for its most ardent fans, and I'm, of course, talking about Dio the band, isn't really Hall of Fame worthy. But Ronnie is. He was a big part of rock history, a major contributor. He has that seven-album run, and he's got enough other stuff to fill around the edges, including a third Sabbath album. What is the difference between Deep Purple with David Coverdale and Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio? They both appeared on three albums, two of which are really highly regarded. It's hard to really see any difference between Coverdale and Deep Purple and Dio with Black Sabbath. The Hall simply blew it when he was left out of Sabbath's induction. It had a chance to acknowledge a true metal icon and legend with a raft of classic songs. But now it'll probably never happen. There's no way for Dio to get in. The best way was through Sabbath. Oh well. Priest will get in soon. Iron Maiden, with all the people who love them and come to that band, even without their singles and anything else, they will too. And maybe somehow, someday, the Hall will recognize a true metal legend who left a classic band and went on to have a remarkable, groundbreaking solo career of his own. Ronnie, sure, but Ozzy Osbourne, too. Hey, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Like I've asked you before, if you wouldn't mind, go on Twitter. You can find me at Well Disguise, something or another. I can't remember what the actual handle is. Type in Well Disguise Podcast. I'll come up. Also, whatever your pod player of choice is, if you wouldn't mind giving me a good review, a subscription, a rating, whatever. It'll help get the word out and maybe allow other people to listen. Um, This has been kind of a quick uh, recording for me. I haven't been able to take quite as much time as I have before. But I hope all of you are doing well in the uh, plague that we're dealing with at this point. Uh, Take care of each other, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Look out! Sorry, Ronnie, that's the best I could do.